Let's go ahead and start finding our places, if we wouldn't mind. Um, uh, it's good to see you all. <clears throat> we got a host of people gone. You know, it's that holiday season. You know, here's what we were talking about at 9 a.m. this morning. You know, people are traveling, they're coming, they're going, but then they hang out with each other and they all get sick. That's just typically how it works. And so we got a host of people gone, sick, or traveling, doing the late Thanksgivings or early Christmases and, and all of that. So there's just a lot going on, and, and that's one of the reasons um, I'm taking a little bit of a break from our series on, on uh, the volume of the book and doing this series on popular passages of the Bible, and some are, some are often quoted, and we're addressing some of those, and we're addressing some that were often quoted but mis- misquoted, and and uh, some who are often quoted and, and misapplied. And, but today is really a straightforward um, message. And I'm trusting the Lord that it will speak to your souls just as it has mine. This is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. It's the story where Jesus is interacting with the woman at the well. And I know it's very popular. And a lot of messages you've probably heard from it. But I want to look at a specific verse. It's in John chapter 4 in verse 35. John chapter 4 in verse 35. So I'm going to ask if you grab your Bibles, flip over to the book of John, chapter 4. Jesus is uh, giving the disciples a, uh, um, a lesson. And um, John chapter 4 in, in verse 30, 35 says, um, Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh the harvest. And it's a question. And I think a lot of times people read this verse, and it's not a question when they read it. They read it as a statement. And Jesus is asking a question. He says, say not ye, there are yet four months and then come at the harvest. I say unto, behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields for they are white, all ready to harvest. You have, how many of you have heard that verse before? Quoted that verse? I mean, you've heard it numerous, numerous times, right? I'm sure you have. Uh, me too. Now, when you get to that verse, that's the culminating verse of everything that transpires up to that. I mean, it is a crescendo, musical term. It is a crescendo all the way up to, to that message, uh, to, to that verse, when he's asking them a question. And so the, the message title I have for us this morning is Words to Live By. Now, now, what's interesting about this verse, I want you to see something here. It says, say not ye, that's the very first few ver- words, say not ye, and then he says, behold, I say unto you. So he's juxtaposing what the disciples are saying and what he is saying. And so my message titled this morning is Words to Live By. And I'm telling you, I, I believe God has a message uh, for us. Let me pray. We're going to go to chapter 4, verse 1. We're going to get a running start into this and uh, kind of tell the story as we've been wont to do over the last couple of weeks. And uh, we're going to get into this. Lord, I thank you. Lord, for the body of Christ, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the guests who are here. Lord, I pray that they feel welcome. Lord, I pray as we open up your word, Lord, that you will speak and Lord, you will guide. Um, Lord, I pray that this, this message will convict. Lord, I pray that it, will, that it will cut. But Lord, I also pray Lord, that it'll be like salve to our, to our souls. Lord, I pray that it'll, it'll illuminate um, our, ourselves and see ourselves in light of your word, but I also pray to illuminate our paths, directions you would have us to go individually as well as corporately. Lord, this is an often preached passage. And this, Lord, I pray that we'll just be able to look at it with fresh eyes um, this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, John chapter four. Let's get a run and start. Let's get the story here. John chapter four and verse one. He says, when, when therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus had made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not, but his disciples. Notice this, it says, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. And then it says this, interesting little tidbit of information, verse four, he must needs go through Samaria. He must needs, that make, what? That's a weird way of saying it anyways, must needs. When was the last time you used I must needs to use the restroom. I must needs go through Samaria. I must, and no, no who's, who talks like that? And yet, it, just, just a little bit of inter, interesting information. All right, so I've got a map that I'd like to just pop up on the screen real quick. And, and so this idea of, this is, the world is fighting over this territory today. And so you have Judea to the south, and that's where Jesus is hanging out with his disciples at this moment. And he's wanting to go to Galilee, 
Galilee's to the north, and that's home for them. That's where they would have been from. Jesus was from uh, Nazareth up toward the north, and he's getting ready to take his disciples back up um, to, to familiar territory in Galilee. But you notice this area in the middle is Samaria, the region of Samaria. And he says, I must needs go through Samaria. And you look at a map going, well, yeah, I mean, that makes sense. You want to go from south to north, you've got to go through Samaria. But here's the thing. If you're not familiar with your Bible and understand, Samaritans were hated by the Jews. They were despised by the Jews. Why? Well, they were Jewish, but they were also Gentile, right? And so there are the remnants of the old captivity of the nation of Israel. And they intermarried with the Gentiles and it intermingled their faith. It wasn't a race issue. It was a faith issue. And so the, a lot of the Jews despised the Samaritans because they mingled paganism with Judaism. Does this make sense? And so they would go out of their way. They would go across the river and skip it to go to Galilee. All right. So that's a little children's map I pulled up just so we can get a visual of, of what's happening. So let's leave, just leave that up just for a moment. So he says, I must needs go through Samaria. Well, that makes no sense because Jesus is dealing with the Jews. He's not issuing, he's not concerned so much with the Gentiles. And yet there's a lesson that he's wanting to teach his disciples. Now, whether the disciples understand that it's time for a lesson or not is up, is, is up for question. But he says he must needs go through Samaria. All right, so look at verse 5. It says, Then cometh he to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being weary with his journey, sat thus on the well and was, and was about the sixth Hour. So if you're familiar with, with, with a, a Jewish calendar or Jewish clock, 6 a.m. is the first hour. S uh, the sixth hour would have been noon. It's been hot, right? So the sun's in the highest point of the sky. It is, it is directly up in the sky. It is now noon. It's the sixth hour. And then you have this interesting little verse, verse 7. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, give me to drink. And then you get a little parentheses in the next verse. For his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. So they get there. Jesus sends his disciples into Sychar and says, hey, go grab us something to eat. Once you go on a Chick-fil-A run for us real quick. And then I am going to be hanging out here by the deal. Well, he's got a meeting. He's got a meeting with this woman of Samaria, of the Samaritan woman. She doesn't know there's a meeting. The disciples don't know there's a meeting. But he knows there's a meeting going to be had. And so as they go on their way, they're into the town, and she comes bebopping up the hill to get to this well, and she sees Jesus. Now, Jesus is a Jew. He would have been dressed like a rabbi. And you find out that she's showing up at noon, not a typical time to draw water, right? That was typically done in the morning time, and it was been done with a group of women, right? This has been their social hour. They all go to get water, and they all go home with water, and then they go their separate ways. But there's something different. She's all by herself, and she's drawing at noon. Now, I think we read a little bit further on the story. You'll find out why she's all by herself. She's not liked in town by the ladies, and she's well-liked by the men, if you catch my drift. Right? There's something different about this woman. So she shows up, and he says, hey, give me something to drink. Uh, I'm thirsty. Well, she asks a valid question. Hey, wait, why are you talking to me? We, you... Jews don't have dealings with the Samaritans. Not, not, not only that, but you're a dude and I'm a girl. And why do we even have this chat? All right, so we're going to fast forward the conversation. Look at verse 13. And Jesus offers her living water. He, he says uh, in verse 13, Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. She's like, yeah, I was here yesterday. You're, you're not telling me anything I don't know. Right? Say, hey, you drink of this water, you're going to be thirsty again. And then he says this, verse 14. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. And she says, woman saith unto him, sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come thither to draw. I mean, can we quench my thirst, number one, and I'm tired of coming here every single day. I don't want to come back here anymore. Can you give me some of that? And she's thinking physical, and he's thinking spiritual. And then he calls her out on her sin. Like, he just changes the subject. Boom, verse 18. Hey, I got an idea. How about you go 
um, go get your husband. And she says, sir, I have no husband. And he goes, "Uh, yeah, you're right. You don't have a husband. Verse 18, for thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. And that says thou truly. You ever just been reading your Bible, and you're just, no matter where you are, you're just reading your Bible, and you just feel like the Lord is like peering into your soul? You ever felt like that? Are you just having your time with the Lord? You got your journal out, you got your cup of coffee, you sit down and it's like, okay, I'm going to have my time with Jesus. And you read just a, a few verses. You're like, ooh, this is, I don't know that I'm picking up what he's putting down. And then all of a sudden it's like, Whoa! man, he's just like cut deep. Man, this woman is speaking with the word of God. That's who she's speaking with. And as, as he's speaking, it's cutting into her. And he says, hey, go grab your husband. She's like, yeah, I don't got one of those. He goes, yep, you've had five, and the one you're with, you ain't married to. And she says, sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Uh, You think? He's more than a prophet. So the conversation goes from water to everlasting water to my sin to I need a solution to this sin. And so she realizes, wait a second, he just made this a very spiritual thing. If he's really a prophet, then I need to talk spiritual. You ever been around somebody like that? Where you're having just a conversation, you're just waiting, trying to figure out, okay, how do I get the gospel into this conversation? You find out this happens to me all the time, all the time. I try never to tell people that I'm, um, that I'm a pastor because I know there's going to be a switch in the conversation. The moment they find out I'm a pastor, like their language switch, their language cleans up, the conversation shifts, and the next, next thing we know we're talking about vacation Bible school or something. It's just like random conversation to make sure that he has no words in edgewise and she just starts talking spiritual things. The only thing that she knows spiritually. And so that's what she starts to do, verse 22. And Jesus just cuts her off, verse 22, says, you worship, you know not what. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. He just said something. You're not Jewish, I am. You're talking about a worship of a false God. I'm talking about a worship of a real God. You don't know what you worship. Woo, that's bold statement, isn't it? This woman is speaking the truth that she knows. Our fathers have passed on this religion and we're supposed to worship in this mountain. He goes, you don't even know what you worship. I know what we worship, he says, verse 23, but the hour cometh and now is that when the true worshipers shall worship. So he's like, hey, we haven't had, you don't even know what you worship and the people who know what worship is, they're not even doing it right either. So we haven't had true worship for for a hot minute. He says, when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And the woman says unto him, well, I know the Messiah is coming. What's every Sunday school answer? Jesus. Right, so he's having like this whole Sunday school lesson. And she's like, Messiah. I know he's coming. Like, hey, good job. You got this one right. And then he drops a bomb. He says, um, yeah, that's, that's me. That's me. She goes, I've been waiting for this Messiah. I've been looking for this Messiah. And man, man, the, the Messiah's coming. And he's going to tell us all things. And she's like, man, you've been telling me all things. And, and he's going to tell us all things. Verse 26, and Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. Don't let anybody ever tell you that Jesus never claimed to be the Messiah. Don't let anybody ever tell you that God, that Jesus never claimed to be God. He just did right there. He reveals himself to a Gentile woman, half Jewish and half Gentile. He reveals himself and says, I am the Messiah. You can just see her eyes go, what? How crazy is this? Eyes opened. And as he's having this dialogue, the disciples are making their way down the path. They've got Chick-fil-A in the bag, right? And they're walking up, and they see Jesus talking with a woman. And not just a woman, a woman who gets around, around, I get around, right? And so they see her, and they, they're questioning, what is going on? But nobody dares ask him the question. And they show up, and then... Um, 
She leaves the water pot. Man, I love that. Verse 28. The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith unto the, what? Saith unto who? The men. Why? Because ain't no lady going to give her the time of day. She's well-versed in speaking to the men. And the men are well-versed in speaking to her. But she's got a different message today. The message isn't, hey, what are you doing at 3 o'clock? The message is, there's a man out of Jacob's well telling me everything that I've ever done. He's got to be the Messiah. And they come running. Now, in the, me in the meantime, so she leaves her water pot, a very big picture of, I don't need temporary thirst quenched anymore. I'm going to have my, my salvation. I'm going to have my eternal thirst quenched. And so she no longer leaves the water pot. She hightails it into the city. She tells all the men, Jesus is out here. He's got to be the Messiah. And in the midst of all that happening, it says this, verse 31. So, so she goes in verse, well, verse 29. Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? She doesn't declare it. She says, hey, this got to be the Christ. Will you agree with me? And then here come the men of the city. So in the meantime, while that's going on, the disciples saying, Master, eat, in verse 31. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that you know not of. Like, Jesus, you even hiding like a Klondike bar in your pocket? What do you, what do you got? They're looking at who, who fed him, who gave him something to eat. He says, listen. Verse 33, therefore said, it said the disciples one to another, hath any man brought him ought to eat? And Jesus said unto him, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Listen, you're offering me this food that you went to Sychar to get, and you're bringing it out, and I'm already full. And so he's speaking spiritual, and they're thinking physical, right? I would have been doing the same thing. Now listen, it's easy to pick on the disciples, but you would have been doing the same thing, and so would I. Like, hey, hey, got some food? Yeah, I've already eaten. You made me deal with those Samaritans in the You made me go shopping? Do you understand what I went through at Walmart? I mean, that was a mess. And now I come and I'm bringing this food and you've already eaten? He goes, yeah. Because I did the will of the Father. And by doing the will of the Father, that is enough meat for me. Does that satisfy you? And so he says this then. In verse 35, say not ye there are yet four months and then come at the harvest? Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. Often quoted verse. But in the context, what's he talking about? Because he went from living water to living water to husbands to worshiping on a mountain to true worshipers. To, to food, to doing the will of the Father, and all of us, now we're talking about a harvest. It's like, what is going on here? Look at the harvest. It's white already under harvest. You're, you're saying it's in four months, but it's, it's, it's time. You know what he's saying? He's saying, lift, he's saying, lift up your eyes and look. What would they see? They would see a woman leading a group of men out of a city to Jesus. That's what they would have seen. That's the harvest he's referring to. Lift up your eyes and look, they're white already under harvest. All right, so pause, time out. Hold your spot, go with me to Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. So, John chapter 4 tells us that they're in Judea, and they're going to Galilee, but he must needs go through Samaria. This is early on in the ministry of Jesus. When you get to Acts chapter 1, Jesus has now been crucified. He's, he's resurrected the third day. He's getting ready to ascend on high into heaven with the promise that he's coming again, the second coming of Christ. But I want you to see what he says in Acts chapter 1 in verse, verse 8. He says, but ye shall receive power when? When am I going to receive power? Well, after that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Okay, then what? Well, then ye shall be witnesses. That same word means martyrs. You shall be witnesses unto me both in, where? Jerusalem and Judea. And what's the next word? 
Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. He's telling them there's going to be something different now because now you have the spirit of God inside of you. It's what, see, there Jesus is hanging out with them. It's one thing to have God with you. It's something else to have God inside of you. And so now they're having the spirit of God inside of them and there's a task involved. And the task is don't just kick it here in Jerusalem. Don't just hang out in Judea, but you gotta go to Samaria too. Now here's what's interesting. You read Acts 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. 5, 6, 7, 8. You read all those chapters, they don't do it. They stay in Jerusalem. And they, they talk about politics and they talk, talk about doctrine and they do this and they do that and the world's trying to understand everything that's going on but they don't take the message to Samaria. They don't take it anywhere. I'll go, go to chapter 8. Because when you get to chapter 8, it's right after chapter 7. And chapter 7 is the final opportunity the Jews have to receive Jesus Christ as Messiah. Stephen's preaching. And they reject his preaching. They close up their ears. They, they start going, no, 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 I'm not listening to anything you have to say. They start biting him. They stone Stephen to death. And there's a young man named Saul who's a consenting to their death. And Saul is on a mission to destroy Christianity. And so because they're disobedient in Acts chapter 1 through chapter 7 and not taking the gospel where it needs to go, God brings them persecution, Acts chapter 8 and verse 1. And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles and devout men carried Stephen to his burial. Verse three, as for Saul, he made havoc of the church. And then skip down to verse five. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. So here's Jesus in John chapter 4 with his disciples in a region of Samaria that he desperately wants them to reach one day. It's not time yet to reach Samaria. That comes after the resurrection of Christ. That comes after the empowering of the Spirit of God. They're supposed to be taking the gospel then to not just the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. But he's preparing them here in John chapter 4. He's preparing them. He's getting them eyes to see not just Jewish context, but also Gentile context. So go back to John chapter four, because now he says, hey, I've, I'm full. I've, I've done all the work. I've done the will of God that God would have for me. And I, therefore I am full. I don't need the food that you are offering me. But then he says, lesson time. Now, can we pull the verse back up? John chapter four and verse 35. John chapter four, verse 35 says, say not ye, there are yet four months and then cometh harvest. He said, this is what you are talking about. These are the words that you are living by. There are four months and then cometh the harvest. But then he says, behold, I say unto you. So is there juxtaposition now? What the disciples are saying and what Jesus is saying. Which authority are you going to follow? Which words are you going to live by? Behold, I say unto you, look on the fields for they are white already unto harvest. All right, so. I know what you're thinking. You're looking at your sheet going, he hadn't even touched any of the blanks. These are going to go quick. All right. The very first point I have for you then is that the disciples have words they live by. The disciples have words they live by, and the words they're living by are, are there are yet four months and then come with harvest. That's what they're saying. They may not vocalize it. They may not say it, but that's what's in their heart. It's not time for the harvest Yet, and if you've ever been around a field, you've ever been around a farmer, there is a time for sowing and there is a time for reaping. There's a time for all of those things. But if you hang out with Jesus, you find out that he's expecting fruit at different times. He's expecting sowing the seed at different times. Like the calendar doesn't, doesn't apply to him, right? You, you see that a lot. All right, so the disciples have words that they're living by, but a couple things I want you to grasp just in this first phrase, the say not Ye. Next point, they, they are in agreement. The disciples are in agreement. It says, say not, what's the next word? Ye. Now, if you've hung around here long enough, you understand the word ye in your King James Bible is always plural, always. So if you're ever stuck up on the these and the thous and the thines and the yees, right? Thee, thou, thine, always singular, always referring to one. Ye is always Plural. You is sometimes plural, sometimes singular. But ye is always plural. 
So when he says, say not ye, he's saying, you all are saying this. They are in agreement in what they're saying. The disciples, it's not just John who has this thought. It's not just Peter who has that thought. It's not just Matthew. No, it's all of them. So they're following Jesus as a team. They're speaking as a team. And you find out also they're idle as a team. They're in agreement. And I think there's a lesson to be learned here within our church as well and churches as a whole. We can be in unity and we can be in agreement, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we're in biblical unity and biblical agreement. Amen? So let's keep, let's keep reading. Say not ye, then he says, there are yet four months. Say not ye, there are yet four months. The next point. They're in agreement that the right time is coming. At least they agree with that. They're in agreement. Hey, the right time is coming. Maybe off to the side, you might want to write this down. The calendar dictates their work. The, the calendar is dictating what they do when, when they do it. Hey, there is a time to do this. There is a time for sure. And they agree that there is a time. It's just not the right time. The right time is coming. How's that any different than saying, I'll get busy when it's closer to time? You ever been around somebody like that? I'll get right with Jesus later, right? I'll do that on my deathbed. Well, how do you know if you're ever going to have time on a deathbed, right? You don't, you're not guaranteed that. And if you're on a deathbed, who's to say you're even coherent? There's no getting right later. Let's do it now, man. But, and I'm guilty of this too. Man, if you, let me just put it this way. Here's an analogy, an illustration. This is my life all too often. My mom was a single mom. Being a single mom to two boys, she wielded a pretty heavy stick, if you know what I mean, Right? There was always an envelope with chores written down on that envelope. And there was always a little line at the end. It better be done when I get home. Or y'all, there's a lot of other words that I can't say in church, right? We knew, as implied, if this doesn't get done, mom's going to wield the stick, right? And it was whatever was close. <laughs> so I got wheeled flip-flop or hanger or broomstick. It didn't really stick and matter, Right? But there was things to be done. Well, after a while, I kind of figured out my mama's schedule. Right? And so the smart kid, the smart boy, would have said, I'm going to knock it all out now so I can just go play and have fun. And mom will be so proud of me. But no! I'm like, let's go have fun and freaking out because I never know what time it is. I never wore a watch. Right? So I'm like, I'm thinking I'm Crocodile Dundee and can figure out what time it is by the sun, you know, whatever. And I'm trying to run home before mom gets home to knock out all the chores and get it done. Well, it didn't always work out so well, right? Or I'd have it done and it wasn't done. Like shoving stuff under the bed, you know, hiding dirty dishes in the, in the cabinet, you know, all that type of stuff. That never went real. <clears throat> How are we any different than that in our walk with the Lord? We know what God would have us to do, and we wait until it's the right time. It's just not really the right time. I'd get plugged into church, or I'd, I'd do this, or I'd get baptized, or I'd get discipled, or I would, I would lead people to Christ. I would, I would do that. I would do Bible Institute. I would do all those things, but it's just not ever the right time for me. Okay, be careful that you don't allow the, ca the calendar to dictate your work. Because what happens is they're, they're not focused on the work. They're focused on the calendar. Now, let me just say this. This is important. The Bible is very, very clear with us and how the, the Bible lays out, how human history lays out. The Bible gives us great detail on the end times, all those type of things. What I found is uh, we can get so focused studying out end times things that it makes us very lazy at this time. Right? Now, I'm all in. I want to study the end times. The Bible tells us to not be ignorant of that. We should know that and 
be able to lay that out and all those things. But it should not be so much of our fo focus that we miss out on this time. Right? We're always looking for that future event that we're not focused on the right here and right now. Does that make sense? All right. So then he says, say not ye there are yet four months. And then he says, then cometh harvest. Next point, they're in agreement that the right time is coming to reap the coming harvest. They're in agreement that the right time is, 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 is coming to reap the coming harvest. Now, when I say harvest, you might be thinking one thing, and the person beside you might be thinking something else. And the person beside them might be thinking something else. Listen, we can be in agreement but be in agreement, not even with the same conclusion. And here's what I mean by that. There might be somebody here who's, who's focused and waiting and expecting um, for somebody else to do the harvesting because you did all the sowing. It's time for let somebody else do the work, right? You're like, hey, I've done it all. I've done my sowing. I've done my thing. It's time for me to kick back. Yeah, four months and then come with the harvest. Let them do it, right? There's some, I guarantee there's somebody in the room who's just like that. I've done my time. I've done my work. I'm just going to abide by it and sit back and wait for the first to show up and let somebody else do that work. Okay. Then you have a group. Then you have a group who's like, I'm just waiting for my harvest. In other words, get me out of here. Can you just take me off of this planet? I, I'm, I'm, I'm just ready to go home. I want to focus on me harvesting my rewards, right? Judgment seat of Christ. It may be that's you. You're like, listen, I'm tired of doing this work. I'm tired of doing all this. And man, just get me out of here. I want to harvest me. <laughs> just take me out. But then you have a group who understands, you no know, sowing and reaping go hand in hand. And they understand, no, when it's time to harvest, that's when the real work begins. Right? So growing up around here, I mean, you drive around, you see people planting fields, and then you see the green start to rise, and then it starts to change colors. Then you see the combines, you see the harvest. Listen, harvesting now goes behind the scenes. You may not see what happens afterwards, but that's where the real work begins, is after the harvest, because then you've got to take the harvest. You've got you to rip the things apart, and you've got to separate the, the wheat from the chaff, and you've got to do all this work, and then that gets ground, and then that gets sent the flour that you buy at Walmart, right? Because all that work happens behind the scenes. So, man, when we hear there's yet four months and then the harvest, it's not just leading people to Christ. It's making disciples of those who've come to Christ and taking them and, and making disciples out of them and pouring into them and, and seeing God use them so that they, in turn, can come and join the harvest. That is what he's talking about but he's dealing with disciples who are happy to be with Jesus and be everywhere Jesus is and see the miracles that Jesus is doing and not see people. My time's coming. Four months and then come with the harvest. It's not time yet. And so those are the words that they're living by. All right, but Jesus, here's your next point. Jesus has words for the disciples to live by. He says, behold, I say unto you, so you're living by a, based off what you're saying. Let me tell you what I'm saying. Behold, I say unto you, and he says this, lift up your eyes. Next point, you're focused here. You're focused right here, disciples. You aren't focused where you need to be. You can't see past your own nose. You're focused right in front of you. In fact, you're even thinking about temporary things and food. You see, Jesus sent them, Jesus sent them into Sychar, yes, to get food, no doubt about it. But at the same time that they're living their lives and going about business of just logistical things, he's also asking them to see people. And they didn't see a person. They did not see a mission field. They saw an annoyance. They saw a hindrance. They saw obstacle. Does that make sense? So what's the, what's the lesson there? Listen, as you are going about your daily life, nothing wrong with 
going about your daily life and paying your bills and going to the store and putting food on the table, all that's right and biblical. But the, the temptation or the, what happens is we get lulled to sleep and we get focused right here. And we don't see people. We just don't see them. We don't see the mission field that God has led us to. And he says, lift up your eyes. You're so focused right here. You're so focused right here, you can't see them. But then he says this, lift up your eyes, and then he says, and look on the fields. Next point. You're focused here, but you need to be focused there. You're focused here, but you need to be focused there. But notice he says, he doesn't say, see the fields. What does he say? Look. Look. Don't just see. Look. In other words, consider. Analyze. Pay attention to. Acknowledge. Like some of y'all, I wave at you going down the road. No love from any of you. You're all like, you're driving, listening to your music, picking your nose, whatever it might be. You're just doing your thing. And I'm waving going, hey, see me. And like, nah. Deidre's the worst. I'm just kidding. I'm <laughs> just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> just, I'm just picking. Listen, I, I do the same thing. I do the same thing. And then I start waving at people who don't even know me. Like I'm just, because I don't want to be guilty of not acknowledging your presence. You know, you get the finger every now and then because they're like, who are you? Anyway, all too often we get so focused on right here, right now, we don't see people. We have to see people and not just see them, but look and observe and analyze. Karen and I were in Pittsburgh yesterday. My son had a concert phenomenal concert but as she's shopping and I'm watching people right because there's just some stores ain't my gig but I'm happy to just sit out in this mall and just watch people and I like to try to figure out their stories you know look at their shoes you can pretty much tell what they do or hear how they talk or how how does that husband and wife interact one with another you know it's just figure some stuff out you find out there's a lot of miserable people out there, man. Just broke my heart. Just like, man, these people just living their lives, doing their thing. Miserable. And all too often, we're doing the exact same thing. Living our lives, doing our thing. Miserable. Do you know why? Because we're not focused there. We're focused right here. We don't see past our own nose. He says, no, you need, to, no, you need to look. But then he says, look on the fields, plural, right? So there's multiple disciples. There's more than one field. And what's amazing, after Acts chapter 1, after Acts chapter 8, those disciples began to spread out to their fields. Listen. Um, Brian Clark, our missionary to London, his grandfather used to say, not every Christian is called to be a foreign missionary, but we should all struggle with the possibility. That's true. I 100% believe that that's true. We should always be considering, Lord, what field would you have me to work in? What field would you have me to buy? What field would you have me to purchase? What, what field would you have me to sow in? What field would you have me to harvest in? What, what field would you have me to, to work in? We should be considering all of them and then the Lord will direct and lead you to the right one, right? No doubt about that. But he says, look on the fields. Why? Because there's more than one disciple, there's more than one field. But then he says this, why are you looking at? For they're white already unto harvest. Next point. You're focused here, but you need to be focused there. Why? Because the harvest is everywhere. You're focused here. You need to be focused there because the harvest is everywhere. Look at verse 36. It says, And he that reapeth 
receiveth wages and gathereth fruit unto life eternal. Why? That both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And here is, is that saying true, one soweth and another reapeth. Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. But he says, I sent you to reap whereupon uh, ye bestowed no labor. Other men labored and ye are entered into their labors. He said, hey guys, I sent you. Do you understand when you were going grocery shopping, that was a mission? You have been sent into a field where you bestowed no labor and you should have been expecting a harvest no matter where you are. That's what he's telling them. You see, the evidence of a, there's always evidence of a ready harvest. Someone's already done the work. Get this. The grace of God to bring us salvation hath appeared to all men. There's not a person on the planet you talk to that God hasn't already been to. The grace of God to bring us salvation hath appeared to all men, Titus chapter 2. What does that tell you? You can't take the gospel to the wrong address. It's not possible. Someone's already done the sowing sometimes. You, I mean, you ever talk to somebody and you start sharing the gospel? And say, yeah, I've heard that. I, I remember hearing that at some point in time. Or, or they recall it in a different way. Well, somebody, that tells you that somebody's already sowed a seed. And now you get to water that seed. And God just might use you to reap a harvest in that moment. But all too often, saying it was just not time. Now, I think this goes without saying. But a harvest can't harvest itself, can it? It's not possible for the harvest to harvest itself. They're white already to harvest. Someone has to speak truth into them. My, I don't have this on the, on the screen, but it's Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13. In whom you also trusted, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. How many of you are saved today? You don't be on a shadow of a doubt that you know Christ is your Savior. Raise your hand. If that is true, you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are saved, that is because someone shared the gospel with you. They verbalized the gospel with you because you cannot receive Jesus unless you have heard it. You can't harvest yourself. It doesn't work like that in whom you also trusted, after that you heard the word of the truth. You were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. All right, praise the Lord for that. So this woman has run now into town to tell all the men of the city, there's a dude out here telling me everything I've ever done. Surely he must be the Christ. Surely he must be the Messiah. And they come out. Field white, all ready to harvest. He says, hey disciples, look, here they come. That's the field. And they're so oblivious to it, they don't, they don't grasp it. And he says, listen, I sent you, verse 38, to reap that whereon ye bestowed no labor. I sent you, and you didn't get it. He didn't say, I'm sending you. He didn't say, I'm going to send you. It's past it. I sent you. They had just returned from where they had been sent, and they missed the people that they're supposed to be reaching. All right, so let's, let's land the plane here. So Jesus has a one-on-one -on -one meeting with Samaritan woman who has no clue that that day is the meeting, right? Just like the day you knew Christ. Odds are you didn't know that that was the day you're going to meet him. That for sure was the case for me. When I met Christ as my Savior, I had every intention of partying, not meeting Jesus. And I met Jesus. Praise the Lord. All right, praise the Lord. But then... Not only is this woman meeting Jesus, God, Jesus uses the Samaritan woman, here's your next point, as the lesson. You see, the Samaritan woman is the lesson. She's the object lesson. And here's three lessons I want to grab from this. First one's this. We often convince ourselves that we aren't in the right where. 
Isn't that true? And Jesus, what does he do? He led them to Samaria, which for sure, in their mind, was not the right way. We're not supposed to be here, Jesus, but since you're here, I guess I'm here. But they're missing the people. And so we convince ourselves that we're just not in the right where. There's a lesson to be learned. Next point. We often convince ourselves that someone isn't the right who. Well, they'll never want to hear the gospel. That's just, they're not too interested in that. What does Jesus do? He speaks to a Samaritan woman at a well in isolation in the wrong place with the wrong type of woman. And yet God has something special for her. And she left her water pot, picture of salvation. Her pot was full, living water. And she went running. Next point is we often convince ourselves that it isn't the right when. You see, Jesus spoke to her at the wrong time of day. She should have been zero expectation of running into a woman at noon. And so you have the wrong where, the wrong who, and the wrong when, and yet they're all right. It's pretty remarkable, isn't it? So not only is a Samaritan woman the lesson, next point, she's also the teacher. The Samaritan woman is also the teacher. Because here's your next point, every here is the right where. Every here is the right where. And every who is the right who. That's your next point. Every who is the right who. Not whoville. But every who is the right who. And the next point is every now is the right when. The disciples are hanging out in Samaria before we start putting everything away. The disciples are hanging out in Samaria. Their mentality has always been and ingrained into them, let the Samaritans take care of the Samaritans. We'll take care of us, let them do their thing. There's a little bit of prejudice that transpires, right? And yet God uses Jewish disciples, fishermen, uneducated men, to, to reach this city. But you find out they didn't really reach the city at all. Who did? It was the wrong woman. This woman who is the talk of the town. Right? She is the talk of the town. She runs into the city with the message that will save them all. And the Bible says that they came out to meet him. Some of them believed because of her testimony, but the majority of them believed because they heard the words of Jesus. Not everybody you share the gospel with is going to get saved. Not everybody you share your testimony with is going to get saved. Your job is to lead them to Jesus and let Jesus do the rest of the work. But here's a wrong woman at the wrong time going to the men of the city. Here comes, I mean, can you imagine being the ladies? Here comes, here comes that Jezebel, right? And here she comes, and she's talking to my man. Yeah, but you got to understand, she ain't the same woman. And what's amazing to me, she didn't, all she knew was the Messiah's coming, and she met him. She didn't get discipled yet. And she wanted everybody who knew her to know him too. And the disciples are sitting there. The disciples are sitting there wanting to be everywhere that Jesus is. And they're happy to serve Jesus wherever Jesus is. But they don't understand that he's in the saving business. And that's our business too. 
And so don't ever, ever believe the lie that it's not the right time. It's always now, and it's always the right time. Don't ever believe the lie that it's the wrong who, whether that's you or them. Because you can't take the gospel to the wrong address. It's not possible. And don't ever believe the lie that God can't use you, that you've done so much wrong in your life, so much mess up in your life that God can't use you. Here's a woman who's tore up from the floor up and God uses her mightily. And we're talking about her today. That's pretty amazing. So biggest lesson of the day is lift up your eyes and look on the fields. They are white already unto harvest. I'm telling you, if you walk out of here today, if you walk out of your home every single day with the mentality, I'm going to see people and look for the opportunity to reap a harvest, God will give you opportunity upon opportunity upon opportunity. You might be thinking, I just never have the opportunity to share the gospel. You aren't looking for them then. You aren't looking for them. Open your eyes and see people. Let's stand together. Oh, by the way, this just happens to be the time of the year that people are actually talking about him. Just happens to be the time. Let's, let's get busy. Let's get busy. Next couple of weeks we'll shift gears to some passages that deal with Jesus and the birth and all those things. I'm excited about all that. Man, let's do some soul searching right now. Let's do some soul searching. If you need somebody to pray with, you pray with them right where you are. I'm not calling you up to the front, right? And as we're soul searching, if there's anybody here that says, you know what, I don't even know for sure that I'm saved. I want what that Samaritan woman had. Okay, you just raise your hand. I'd love to talk to you after the service. So everybody, every head's bowed, every eye's closed. If that's you, you don't know for sure that you're saved, you're not 100% sure that you know Christ is your Savior, just put your hand in the air. No one else is looking around, just me, you and Jesus. Anybody? The rest of the body, we're, we're praying. We're seeking our, seeking, uh, seeking our souls and asking God to open up our spiritual eyes to see people, knowing that God can use each and every one of us. Anybody? Please do not squander this opportunity. You are not guaranteed tomorrow. You need to know Christ as your Savior. Okay. Just take, just take a few more seconds. And then Levi, I'm going to ask you, you close us in prayer and we'll be dismissed.